I hate to say this, but you know, I do have a private ambulance background. I've worked in private ambulance, and I think that private ambulance is on the verge of extinction, um, or they're facing an, an extinction event. To, to be in business, you have to make money. And I don't see uh, how these folks are able to stay in business when you have issues with um, sometimes you've got to pay double or triple time to get somebody in the seat to meet a compliance. Well, it's Friday, and everybody knows it's Friday. It's time to go inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Subalero, and I am so excited to be here with you today. And with me always... Whoa, whoa. Firstly, Chris, it's not Friday. Secondly, this possibly is only half of Inside EMS. Uh, we are live here at the Pinnacle Conference. And firstly, I'm going to come back at you, and we'll explain what we're doing here in a second, because last week on your show, and I do listen to your shows... Uh, even though, and you said that you listened to my shows, is that you were crying out to be invited onto EMS One Stop, and here you are. And not only here you are, but this is like the Howard Stern Show. We are live, in live together. I'm looking at you, and also a guest, which we'll bring in in a second. So, you know, your wish has come true. You know, I just got to say one thing. Kelly, I made it on the one stop. We're, we're here. I'm here. They got cookies. It's, it's, it's great. And uh, certainly we miss Kelly Grayson on this crossover show. But Rob, I'm excited to be here on the one stop and uh, kind of share a little bit of the inside EMS audience and the one stop audience and, uh, you know, give them a great show and talk about what's going on this week. If you listen to both of our shows, you know that uh, Chris and Kelly take the point of view of the two guys on the truck. And I'm the guy in the corner office, so uh, clearly there'll be some negotiations over terms and conditions a little bit later on. But Chris, do you want to bring our guest in? You know, one of the things that I think is really awesome is that in EMS, there's some great leaders, there's some great folks. And, uh, you know, we have the opportunity, Rob, you and I, to bring those folks on our show and kind of talk uh, and talk with them and, and pick their brains today. We have got an awesome guest. He is the president of NAEMT. He is a friend. He is an author. He is a speaker. He looks great in a pair of shorts. Our good friend, Bruce Evans. Bruce, welcome on the show. Thanks, Chris and Rob, for having me. It's uh, great to be here at Pinnacle. And uh, boy, we've had uh, some exciting lectures and uh, Pinnacle did not disappoint as usual. Um, but happy to be hanging out with you two uh, this morning and get into the nitty gritty of what's happening in EMS. So you are the inaugural guest on the crossover EMS inside EMS stop once. We'll, we'll, we'll think of a title we, we for the need, show. We need T-shirts, Rob. We need to get crossover T-shirts. Okay, T-shirts and swag coming uh, to a vendor near you soon. Uh, but Bruce, obviously we're at Pinnacle. Um, this is the, the coming together of uh, a lot of EMS leaders. There's a lot of discussion. I opened the week in the first pre-con I delivered by stating, I believe we are in a pickle. And uh, I also also said that we're also in the crap and it's only the depth that varies. But, uh, you know, what do you think? Well, I think uh, this has been a, an, an integral um, visit with Pinnacle. And I would tell you that there's a lot of key challenges that are here. Definitely the, the issues about finance uh, have been revolving around this conference and there's been a lot of discussion. I think uh, we had a great presentation from Asbel on, the, uh, on the, what's going on with reimbursement. I think we all know that many of the other things, whether it's workforce or whether it's vehicles or it's some clinical issues that we're moving out into the field, they all take money. 
and we know that reimbursement seems to be stalled and that, you know, I, I hate to say this, but, you know, I do have a private ambulance background. I've worked in private ambulance and I think that private ambulance is on the verge of extinction um, or they're facing an, an extinction event. To, to be in business, you have to make money. And I don't see uh, how these folks are able to stay in business when you have issues with um, sometimes you got to pay double or triple time to get somebody in the seat to meet a compliance. And then certainly the supply chain, when we look at fuel, when we look at the price of vehicles, we look at the price of chips, we look at the price of the equipment. Uh, for anybody who's bought an ambulance and outfitted it lately, the amount of stuff that goes in the back of an ambulance now is almost as expensive as the chassis and the vehicle itself. And I, I just don't know if we're in a sustainable situation without um, significant uh, reimbursement. And as this gets moved over to, uh, as you see private uh, private companies fold or leave a community and put this on the uh, private or on to the public uh, delivery of EMS, um, the taxpayers are not in a position to fund more um, more tax revenue. And, in, and frankly, in many cities, in many states, um, you're seeing uh, tax caps get put on the amount of revenue that an agency can, uh, can collect. So as we see these property tax uh, caps go in, you know, this movement for essential service and being able to, uh, to bill property tax um, or to assess property tax for revenues, I, I think it's going to be capped. And I think, again, it's going to limit the amount of funds even for public delivery EMS systems. I led you into that with my pickle and my depth of uh, you know what. And so, I mean, thank you for, uh, for saying that. I have gone on record on this show by talking about actually something that Asbel Montes, who was one of the um, general session speakers, said that uh, he was obviously talking about the reimbursement bit. But, uh, you know, he said, and I think the quote was something like, you know, you've got your red, red lights and sirens um, study, but unless we can get the funding sorted, you ain't going to have any red lights and sirens to put on anyway. And I think, you know, there's a point to that. And I've certainly, you know, mentioned this before that, um, first of all, I have to, you know, say that I think the, the things like, safety, red lights and sirens are vitally important, uh, but we actually have to be able to thrive to survive. Uh, I mean, a great start off from Bruce, Chris, but uh, I mean, can you follow that? Uh, no, I, I, no, I can't. No, but yeah, I think Bruce brings up a really great point. And we're concentrating so much on where are we going to get the money for community paramedicine? Let's not forget that we still got to be able to stay in business to do community paramedicine, right? But one of the things that EMS agencies are really having the challenge of doing is putting people in the seats, right? We, this is the great resignation, and and we're trying to find people and uh, you know uh, you know the staff, right? I mean everybody's short. But now one of the challenges to the agencies are they're having to come up with more bonus money, they're having to come up with more hourly money, they're having to come up with more benefits, sign whatever it is. And now what's happening is it's putting these agencies more and more into financial strife. Let's not even talk about you know, during COVID, where we were able to buy a box of gloves for, you know, $4 and $10, and now they're $25. You know, the agencies are really in a bad way. And we've got to be able to ensure that we're taking care of ourselves, or as Bruce mentioned, you know, private EMS could be an extinction. And if it is, where does that leave the communities? Are we really there as their safety net? It's been a brutally honest opening to this podcast. And, and, you know, thank you for those words, Bruce. In terms of timing of all of this, 
I mean, the answer, obvious answer is now, but uh, what should we be doing next? Call for everybody to contact their congressional representatives. Um, you know, what a lot of people don't understand is the, uh, the Medicare extenders are up for renewal this year. So they expire at the end, end of, uh, in December. And we're hoping for reauthorization. Now, we, we think everything is on track for this, but it could easily uh, slip under the radar screen or it could slip under the water and go away. Um, and if you look at the Medicare extenders, unfortunately, they're not even really going to cover inflation this year. So they're absolutely critical for some people's survival, especially the super rural bonuses or the rural bonuses. Um, when we talk about the, the being able to put a body in the seat um, in a rural situation, a lot more challenging. And again, uh, it's going to take a lot more innovation. Um, you know, obviously, there are some services that might not be able to be offered. And as Chris said, are, is the safety net going to have some holes in it, and are people going to fall through it? I'm going to channel my inner Churchill, as I often like to. You know, perhaps this isn't the beginning of the end. I hope this is just the end of the beginning. And, uh, you know, Chris, you've been doing some sterling work around, you know, sort of getting people away from the hospital and into other pathway. Can we roll this out quick enough? You know, I, I think the, the question is we have to. It's not can we. You know, we don't have a choice. We really have to start to now be able to be anticipatory about what our career field needs and start to move us in that direction. It, it, we're not in the let's wait and see mode. We're not in the hopefully they'll figure it out mode. We're not in the, uh, you know, what's coming in the future mode. It's that we have to be able now to stand together. We have to hook arms. We have to be able to march to wherever it is we have to march. Bruce Bruce mentioned very, very well, we got to get with our congressmen. We got to get with our state representatives. And you know, it, it's very intimidating when we start to think about going into the state legislature and going into the federal legislature and, and trying to get these people who we hired to work for us. You know, we're, we're in such a divisive uh, time here in America that uh, pick a side is the, uh, you know, the flavor of the week. But you know what? There are issues that have to get taken care of. And, and there's nothing really getting done, in my opinion, uh, from one side or the other in the uh, state and the federal government. But if we don't do something, we're the ones that are going to be culpable because we know that it's coming. Again, I keep quoting myself today, but, you know, I, th I think the only real casualty out of all of this, certainly, you know, post, post I nearly said post-Brexit there. Let's do that again. Maybe we won't do it again. Post-COVID is EMS. And uh, before we go any further, don't forget you can follow both of our shows on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Podbean, Stitcher, and Spotify. And if you're enjoying this joint show, if you enjoy Chris's show, if you enjoy my show, please leave a note on the platform that you are listening on. Back to you, Bruce. Let's uh, sort of think about the conference for the minute. And you've obviously been in a few sessions. Give us a, a few takeaways. Monday, um, I, I had the pleasure of uh, co-presenting with uh, Jay Fitch and... Brian LaCroix, we were talking about mentoring. And, um, you know, you, I think you always have a good, a positive session when, uh, one, people are not on their phones uh, during the whole session while you're speaking, uh, or their computers, or they don't get up and leave at the break and not come back. And uh, we maintained our audience in there, and we maintained some great engagement. I think the demand for mentorship in, in our profession is significant. Um, there seems to be a hunger for people to be led uh, or have the opportunity to interface with a mentor. Um, I'll let Chris talk about that a little bit. He's on the Lighthouse uh, Leadership uh, Group for NAMT, where we're, we've just recently launched a, a pretty significant structured mentor program for people. Um, I think the, uh, 
there was, I was uh, somewhat uh, perplexed at uh, some of the presentations that were made where sometimes there was no answers. Um, the problems were presented, and, and I think the other thing that's out there, which I think this conference tries to do, is that some of these, con some of these problems are very complex. Um, you have uh, regulatory issues, you have financial issues, you have staffing issues, and they're all coming together for the perfect storm. And there's a lot of skills and abilities that are needed to get this over, you know, to get you over the finish line or even to maintain resiliency and significance um, in your service delivery. Um, I think there's probably two emerging issues. Uh, there was a lot of discussion here and a lot of presentations on workforce. Um, we can certainly get into that. There's so many different avenues uh, to discuss workforce. There's some surveys that have come out. Um, so there's some very significant findings about surveys. And as Chris was talking about earlier, one thing we know about this generation that's coming in is they not only want a living wage, but they want a thriving wage. And while we've talked about work-life environment, it's clear that this is flipped around now and it's life-work environment. Um, and they want a thriving wage so that uh, they can go out and live their life. And then the last thing that uh, became glowingly apparent, and for those of you that have ever worked shift work, you know, one of the giant debacles or the one thing that tends to aggravate crews more than anything is when they don't get off on time. And that has certainly been a buzz around here about deployment and staffing and the issues about making sure that people get off and can get home or get to whatever um, their uh, life-work balance issue is. Um, and this newer generation is portable. I would call them pedestrian even where they don't, uh, they don't have any loyalty to organizations. Um, they're only looking for one thing, and that is meaningful work, that the time that they're spending in an organization um, is actually making a difference. And that is a real challenge for managers that's been talked about at this conference. So you mentioned uh, Lighthouse, uh, Chris, clearly something you're working on, but I hope it's not a lighthouse in the desert. And you know what a lighthouse in the desert is? Awfully bright, but no use to anybody. You know, I think that one of the things, uh, you know, when we talk about leadership is really how do we set up the next generation? And as I think about my EMS career and where it's been, it, it, there are a lot of lessons that I had to learn to ensure that I was a great paramedic, that I was a great educator, that I was a great administrator. And now as the people who are coming behind us, one of the things that we can do is let them flounder and fall down the stairs as we did. Or we can share a little bit of that knowledge and we can share a little bit of that wisdom and we can really kind of help our career field. And everything that we're talking about here today is really based on, you know, what is the EMS system of the future going to look like? Whether it's reimbursement, whether it's, uh, you know, getting off on time, whether it's more pay for EMS providers. But what about the wisdom and the knowledge to help them start and move into a position where they could be successful. Well, I'm honored to be on the Lighthouse Leadership Committee for NAMT, and this was a program that was uh, inspired by uh, Jim Page, and Jim was a founding father, as we say, of EMS, and this was his uh, dream and his vision decades and decades ago, and it wasn't until the Bruce Evans administration of NAMT's president that he resurrected this as part of his uh, two-year presidency. And, you know, really, this is where there's about uh, seven or eight of us who are on the committee that have seven or eight mentees, and, and we are now going to help them guide and move into the future. And the eventuality as we go through this beta period is to figure out how do we grow the program 
and how do we make it more mainstay in in the organization and the association? And really, I mean, we 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 always kind of keep ourselves siloed in EMS, and we got to stop that, you know, because all these things that I talked about earlier, Rob and Bruce, that we have to be able to hook arms and march to where we ever, you know, wherever it is we have to march to get whatever it is we have to get done, done. But, you know, I, I don't want to take up the show, Rob, but uh, you had a session here that I was really kind of impressed with. It was the EMS Shark Tank. I was afraid to go up there towards the front as those fins were moving, but uh, tell the listeners about that. Well, had you got really close, Chris, it would have been a feeding frenzy, wouldn't it? But uh, no, this is the second, uh, we, we jokingly call it the second season of the EMS Shark Tank, uh, the Innovation Incubator and what we've done here at Pinnacle is we, we have this, this pre-conference session where you can sign up and you get to be challenged to think about, again, we've had some of these discussions now, some of the issues of the industry, and then come up with some innovative solutions that may well help things out. And as it's like the shark tank, of course, the sharks, obviously, I'm Mr. Wonderful, as you would expect. But also, we have Mike Tegman, we have Tom Judge, we have Ed Rock, we have Dr. Joel D'Onofrio Oadman, and of course, Dr. Remley Crow. And so between us, we then, after we've gone around the room to assist the groups in, you know, being creative and thinking, you know, helping them, helping them think outside the box, but they're already outside of the box thinkers, which is why they came to the shark tank in the first place. And then we then hear some of the some of the solutions. And this year, the the top three solutions or the top three ideas were then put into the general session. And so everybody got then got to hear uh, some of the groups. And so we talked about things like you mentioned getting off on time, Bruce. And one of them came up with a sort of quality of life app where you can you know if you have a recital, which was actually the example used, then you can sort of enter that into an app. My shark question was: so what happens if the whole workforce has a recital at four o'clock? Because you just can't go. Oh yes, that sounds very good. But obviously we had to be a little bit challenging. You know there were some 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 great solutions, some some great sort of uh, sci- uh, app based uh, outcomes and. Uh, I'm going to have them actually on a, on a future podcast where they can talk to you, the listener, about some of the things that they came up came up with that may help us go forward in the industry. I'm delighted to say that I reported back to Jane Anthony at the end, and uh, and the network has commissioned season three of the Shark Tank, and so we'll be back here at Pinnacle next year, uh, which is actually not here. It's actually in San Antonio, Texas, uh, which is a fantastic venue in itself. And so, if you want to come and join in both the learning and the fun. Sign up for the Shark Tank next year. Keeping up with the Pinnacle Sessions, Bruce, give me the one big takeaway you're going to walk away with from this week. The, the big takeaway I'm going to leave with is I'm going to leave with the idea that there's uh, there, we're, we're going to continue to struggle with the workforce challenge. And th- this has so many different avenues that we need to pursue. Um, everything from recruitment to retention to certification to issues that involve uh, whether we can pay a thriving wage. Um, And then the other thing that I've heard consistently is the issue about frontline supervision and how how do we, A, get people to step up to be frontline supervisors, and B, um, are those frontline supervisors understanding that they work for the troops and that um, they gotta have the skills and abilities to know how to take care of people. Um, It's a a rough job out there. you know, the other thing is, I think on the horizon, we're facing a couple other uh, major crises. So um, if you, you know, I think everybody is comfortable saying that we're in an epidemic now. As we close out the pandemic, we're entering the epidemic of fentanyl. And, you know, EMS crews are taking the brunt of the fentanyl crisis. 
you're um, experiencing probably one of two things. You're either showing up and somebody's uh, passed away and you're dealing with a family that's been uh, stricken by the loss of a loved one and having to deal with the emotional um, roller coaster there. Or you're showing up and somebody squirted some Narcan down that person's nose and they woke up. They're awake, alert, and oriented. They refuse to transport. They're grumpy. You're there. Um, and you come back and see them a week later for the same thing. So um, that's, uh, that's not a fun call to be running uh, if you're an EMS provider. And certainly the numbers are uh, dramatically increasing. I think fentanyl is now the number one cause of death for people under the age of 40 in the United States. Thank you for that, Bruce. Uh, we're just going to take a second to have a word from our sponsors. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Well, we're back, and uh, this crossover edition of Inside EMS and the EMS One Stop. And, you know, I, I think you asked a great question to Bruce about what you're going to take home from here. And, and Rob, you know, th this show started because of uh, your articles, and I know that you're going to have some really great insight for the listeners. What are you going to take away or what session really kind of stood out to you that the listeners should really know about? Actually, I have to give my uh, Rob's favorite uh, session to uh, Dr. Uh, Joelle donofrio Odeman. Um, she was also a fellow shark, so I'm slightly biased. But uh, she talked about the great work that they're doing in San Diego. Uh, you know, we all hope to have bi-directional data so that, you know, your community paramedics, Chris, can actually see what happened in the hospital and the hospital can see what you did on the street. And uh, sometimes that's a bit of a distant dream for some. But uh, Joelle really gave an excellent session on how they've made it work in San Diego. And it's not something they're doing right now. It's something they've been doing for a while. Her point, which I hadn't thought about before, within your state data, you do an electronic patient care record, and then it gets faxed electronically, faxed or sent to somewhere in the hospital within 24 hours. So how the heck does the receiving physician get to see some of the minutiae of the treatment, get to see some of the great detail if it's disappearing somewhere downstream. And so their EPCR system is linked directly into the hospital system that as soon as they press the destination, the physician can read the notes as they're coming in. The community paramedics can look at medication records from the inside of the healthcare system. Um, and so it's working both ways. It's that two-way street we hope for so we can make better decisions, particularly from a community paramedic environment. And the hospital itself is, you know, saving money in terms of, well, hang on a minute, this patient, this, this frequent service user, let's call them that, has had the same MRI four times before. And the answer was the same. Do we need necessarily need, based on presenting conditions, to do it again? Because we can now see you know, th those notes. And so it's it's interesting. The other point she made is that ICD-10 has something like 70,000 codes. And she observed there's 400 ways to say stroke in ICD-10. One of the things that she commends is that we kind of have a bit of an, a fix so that we just use, you know, the one thing like the word stroke, perhaps, if we can just digitize that. And so for me, that was perhaps the shape of things to come between pre-hospital and in-hospital. Also, her point is that, you know, most uh, EM physicians 
probably different these days, but have little idea what happens pre-hospitally on the street. All they see is the, 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 the stretcher or the gurney and the ambulance arriving at the moment after a significant wait, but, and they just receive a patient. And of course, sometimes there is that great complaint, well, you know, the patient doesn't look as sick as you described him. Yes, because I met the patient an hour ago. And I've actually been doing what I do, which is make the patient better or make the patient improve the patient's condition. So she made some excellent points. And I have to say that I was in the in the session typing away and I haven't actually connected it all together into sentences, but I've already already got about 900 words worth of quotes to use, which you know we'll all benefit from. So I'm looking forward to bringing that article to EMS one, and so uh, that that was exciting, Bruce. Yeah, Rob, that was a that, it was a great presentation. There was a lot of buzz about that presentation after everybody left, but uh, this links back to the workforce issue. Um, remember that uh, as as we said, um, what, one thing that we're finding is that this next generation coming in wants to make sure that their work is meaningful. And how more can you connect people to meaningful work than to provide them an outcome with bidirectional data? We're nearly on time, Chris, and uh, as, as I'm going to channel Arina Kelly and close the show, give us some final thoughts. One of the things that really stood out to me was uh, two things. One, first was, uh, you know, the word system status management sometimes has a little bit of uh, chill that sends up and down the EMS providers back. But the science of system status management works, and when it works, it works really well. And while we were here at the conference, there was a tribute that was paid to a great man who developed the system status management model. And, you know, to hear a little bit about his life, uh, Jack Stout, and, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to meet him as I was a younger uh, FTO, and uh, hearing his wisdom was uh, great. Uh, So to give him a little tribute, his son was here, Todd Stout. Uh, which was made it very emotional for him. But the thing that really got to me, Rob, was finally being back in the big rooms with all the people that we respect, all the people who are making our um, you know career field as best as it could be, and then the newer leaders that are here. I've laughed, you know, we we cried, you know, we hugged. Uh, there were people I haven't seen here in seven years. And uh, it was really kind of good just to sit back after the sessions, you know, have a cup of coffee, have an adult beverage, and just kind of tell the stories that made us friends from the very beginning. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, I mean, Bruce, you here and Rob here and all the people that made it to Pinnacle this year, if you have the opportunity, come next year to San Antonio. Let's uh, work with your networks. Let's add new people to your networks because you're the ones that are going to lead EMS in the future. And uh, you need these people around you to make you laugh every now and again. Which reminds me, I must shout out to our illustrious uh, editor, Greg Fries, in his session when he gave, put up the picture of the, you know, the EMS dinosaurs that uh, exist at the moment. It was me and Tegman. So I thanked him for it afterwards. But the serious point, of course, is that uh, we've just published the survey. Um, some great results. That webinar will be coming up shortly. Uh, but also, uh, you know, we need the younger generation. My, I believe my role now, and I hope your roles too, is to prepare the next generation to take over. Because looking around this room, we ain't getting any younger. Um, Bruce, just give us a final thought. Yeah, I'll have to echo what uh, Chris said. It's nice to be back with our tribe. And it's nice to be here uh, uh, socializing with uh, people you haven't seen for uh, a couple of years now because of COVID. It's uh, great to hear the innovation that's going on. It's great to hear, um, you know, how everybody's doing, how their families are doing. Um, and then again, uh, this great generation of newer leaders and people that are hungry uh, for information to come up. And 
Uh, of course, uh, the venue is beautiful here um, in uh, Marco Island. It, uh, it's great to be able to come into a session or step out of a session and look out over the ocean and the beach. Uh, Jay always picks uh, a fantastic uh, venue, and uh, this one did not disappoint. Now, if you rewind back through the Apple Podcast catalog, you'll find my interview with Jay Fritch, where I actually got him to admit that pinnacles always occur on the surface of the sun. But hey, Kelly, that's what we think. We'd love to hear what you think uh, by visiting the following address, Chris. Go ahead and send us your thoughts, your comments, your concerns, questions at the show at ems1.com. And for Bruce Evans, host of the EMS One Spot, Rob Lawrence, and our international correspondent, Chris Sabalero, And of course, Kelly Grayson, who's on special assignment. We'll talk to everyone again next week.